0: This is a GRDC podcast. Hi there, I'm Hilary Sims. Unprecedented spring rainfall and flooding in 2022 has made for a particularly tough year. High input costs, combined with the stress of getting crops off wet paddocks and crop loss, means there's never been a more important time to check in with our own mental health and the mental health of friends and family. In this special GRDC podcast, we hear from ex NRL Balmain Tigers player turned mental health speaker and educator at the Black Dog Institute, Wayne Wiggum. Wayne has lived experience with depression and joins us to share his story and mental health recommendations in an effort to help others. But to start, we hear from a grower who, like many others, is experiencing the mental and emotional reality of salvaging a soaked harvest in a season that initially held so much promise. His name is Roy Hamilton and he operates a family farming enterprise near Rand in New South Wales, Riverina. He also sits on the GRDC Northern Panel. Here's Roy.
1: This season, it's been quite amazing. It started off so well. Growers had anticipation, rightly so, when they got to mid-spring, that it was going to be another tremendous year. This season, growers have probably spent more on their crops than I can ever remember. I don't think anyone spent as much on crops this year for two reasons. One, the potential across the board on the East Coast was fabulous. And secondly, that the input costs for reasons that we all understand were at record levels. So there was two things at play. There was the anticipation of a potentially really good crop that needed feeding and very high prices to feed that crop. As growers, you're always at risk of getting ahead of yourself. And as Dad used to say to me, you never actually got that grain until you roll the tarp over it so you're all in the bin or it's paid for because you can't lose something we haven't already got. But you can have that feeling of loss in the sense of where you got to and you've managed something all year and the control gets taken away from you in an event that you have absolutely no control over. One other build-up to a, a big event like this in the spring or even early in the floods is a whole media cycle of the anticipation. Even the country was wet, the crops were great, but a week or 10 days out they start talking about what might happen and there's a northern event, there's an IOD happening and then there's a Nina, and combining that could be a, a big event and you skip that cycle three or four times a day for a week so there's a build-up to the rain event and then during the rain it's probably the sense of all these things going through your mind of, yeah, that's OK, but it's going to rain tomorrow and the next day and we're going to get a flood. Well, how big's that flood going to be? Because some of this flat country, you might have to wait a week or two for the floods to permeate down through the flat country. So it's not something, it's instances up and down and it's gone. In, in some instances it is in valleys, but a lot of New South Wales is on a floodplain. So things can happen very slowly, which gives you a, a lot of time to think about all the consequences of what may have been there it may have happened. So it's the fact that you really can't manage anything of it. I've talked to people about droughts and floods and I've seen a few of both and some suggest that a drought's actually easier to manage than a flood. I think a flood's still better because you've still hopefully got something at the end of it. But a drought, you can plan what you're going to do this afternoon or tomorrow. In a flood event, you can't plan anything. It's just got to play out and you've got to wait for it to happen and then see what's left afterwards, which is uh, cause, can cause a lot of anxiety. And then after the flood, you'll all... OK, can we drain some of this country off? What can we salvage? What does it mean physically for the workforce, which has been very frustrated? In our case, we really couldn't farm for 10 weeks and we're sitting around doing very, very little and that builds up a sense of frustration and anxiety. And then it's after the event is what can we salvage and how can we do it because of the tracks and the shy roads are closed, all these things, so the going through people's minds. The moment...
0: Yes, certainly a lot on people's minds. Do you think that generally, Roy, there's enough being done by the ag industry around mental health awareness?
1: I don't think we do it very well. I think we're doing a lot better than we used to. And people that I know that are knockabout blokes that have been around the industry for a long time, are far more likely to talk about it than what they were a decade ago, which is absolutely fantastic. But there's still a stigma around you've got to be strong. You know, there's... uh, You're a tough Australian worker, you're a farmer, whether you're a girl or a bloke, you're out there and you shouldn't show your emotions. But it's very important to show the fact that it is knocking you around. And, you know, personally, certainly this last three months knocked me around. I um, just could not see the end of it. And I think that's shared by a lot of people. It wasn't so much a singular event. It was the length of the whole flood season this year. That's never happened before. We've never had a wetter spring as what we did. I think it's very easy to mistake... A big event like this is saying, well, yeah, people should get through it because maybe it wasn't quite as bad as what we thought. But some of these events can be tipping points in people's lives. They can already have a build up of things in their mind that are really weighing on them. And what we might think someone should be able to get through may be insurmountable for that individual. And it can be as simple as just tapping someone on the shoulder and saying, yeah, well, uh, let's go down and have a beer or go and have a cup of tea, and how are you going? And, look, it's been around, that message has been around for a long time, but it's a simple one, but it's a very, very important one.
0: And, Roy, you've just opened up to us that the season has impacted you and your mental health, uh, understandably. What do you do in those instances?
1: Hilary, it's not my idea, but someone told me to do this. If you look at what we planted and what we harvest, it's not what we thought would be. And it's really easy to get down on it. But if you sit down, honestly, sit down with a beer or a cup of tea and write down three or four things that are most important to you in your life, I would back most people to put things other than that crop that was going to go five tonnes, now going to go one tonne. I don't think that's going to be on top of their list. But at the moment, it certainly is because we've got to manage that and we've got to manage that potential income change where we thought we're going to make money out of that and we're going to lose money out of it. And we can all adjust to that. But... My three or four items, the only thing that really at the end of the day is my family, is my mates and is my health. And if we come down to that, I think most people, you just need a readjustment of your thinking around these events that it's bloody hard and it's really difficult to manage. But at the end of the day, when you come home, what's important? What's the really important things? And I think most people, they're the most important thing. So that helps me refocus about why I am doing what I'm doing and I choose to do it.
0: And to wrap up, what would your message be to other growers like you who have been in a similar situation this season?
1: I think it's just to, just to simplify everything, get it back down to the basics. What is really important to you? And we talked about this a little bit early on, but my advice to my friends and neighbours is to reach out and sit down and and just have a conversation with your partner or or your mate, a family member or your neighbour and say, how did you feel about, you know, you open the conversation up and go, you might want to say something, but ask them how they felt about, you know, the last three months and what it meant to them and, and start a conversation. We're in an industry that's great, it's dynamic and it's moving fast, but we also got to slow down and look around us and literally remember why we're here and what we're doing, what we're doing we choose to do it and if we're not enjoying it and we can't get back to our families and enjoy them it's not worth it and that's very important.
2: So in Australia today roughly one in four of us are struggling with either depression or anxiety so roughly around six million people out of that six million 64 percent of people do not seek help we together need to break that.
0: That's Wayne Wiggum speaker and educator at the Black Dog Institute. These days, Wayne's work involves speaking with industries in rural and regional areas to raise awareness about mental health. But his career started at just 17 when he debuted with the NRL Balmain Tigers first grade team in the mid-1970s. At that age, he was already carrying something much heavier onto the field than just a footy. Here's Wayne.
2: My parents knew there was something wrong with me when I was six or seven. I was crying, couldn't concentrate, was just a generally sad child. Back then there was not much help. No one knew much about this particular illness. You know, primary school, I was always running away. Mum had to come up to keep me there. Got into high school, was horrible. Didn't know what the hell was wrong with me, just sad every day. Mum had to come up at recess and lunch every day just to keep me there. Then uh, luckily for me, I could play football and even though I was a strange, quiet child, once you put a football jersey on me, I turned into a bit of a fearless person. To be honest, the way I looked at it was that physical pain was so easy to take rather than the mental pain I was going through, so I do believe it probably made me a better footballer. I had made my first grade debut when I was uh, 17. I was just at the end of high school. Before games sometimes, you know, I'd be out up in front of 20,000, 30,000 people. I'd be crying in the change room, hiding in the bathroom 10 minutes before a game, going, what the hell is wrong with me? I'm a football star, got good family, had everything going for me. Yet I thought I'd let the team down, let the supporters down. When you are struggling with depression or anxiety and you don't know what it is, you can get self-hatred and begin to think you're weak. So that's why it's so, so important to acknowledge that depression and anxiety is an illness, Please understand that. It is real pain. It is worse than physical pain for me. So you are brave, but that's why it's so important to seek help. Ten years in NRL, funny enough, since then, my 5'8 was an Indigenous guy, my inside centre Maori. In the last 20 years, we found out that all of us were struggling with depression and hiding it from everyone else at that time. We've now worked together. So it's important to know that wherever we come from, what culture we are, the journey might be different, but when we do get to depression or anxiety, the pain is the same for all of us.
0: And Wayne, you went on to have a successful 10-year career in the NRL. What did you do when that finished?
2: After my NRL career, I joined the New South Wales Fire Brigade. Main reason was I knew that my depression, I couldn't hide it in a full-time nine-to-five job. I heard that if you joined the fire brigade, in between fires and rescues, you could hide in your room. That's why that decision was made. I was in the rescue squad. But when you deal with depression and you're masking it and dealing with it without seeking help, I don't care who you are, you will tend to self-medicate. I began to self-medicate with alcohol. I was so exhausted from putting the mask on. I'd get home to my wife and hide in my man cave. And when you are self-medicating and hiding in your man cave, And not talking to your partner, another reason to seek help. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for your partner or your kids because you cannot be the best husband, father, partner, wife, you know, mother, daughter, whatever. Eventually my marriage broke up because I was just hiding it. After the alcohol stopped working, which it never really did because alcohol is a depressant, so please just know that. Alcohol might make you feel better for a couple of hours but the next day you're just going to feel worse and the only way you're going to be able to dig your way out of that is to drink more alcohol and that just is the beginning of a real downward slide. I then turned to drugs. I was a drug addict and a recluse for five years, didn't speak to anybody but my children And then eventually a friend of mine who was a psych nurse who kept ringing me, um, she said, I think you might be suffering depression. I still didn't listen. I eventually had a suicide attempt. I'm very lucky to be here. But that pushed me to seek, as a last fling, I went to the Black Dog Institute where they diagnosed me correctly. And at that point, after a few months of fiddling around with my meds and diagnosis... All of a sudden I woke up one day and the sky looked blue and the trees looked green and for the first time in my life I actually went, whoa, this must be what it's like to be normal.
0: Right, and what impact did that diagnosis have for you?
2: When the football rugby league community found out what I'd been through, I started getting phone calls from some of the toughest men ever to play rugby league and they were going "Wayne, heard what happened, think I'm going down the same track, mate. So just know that it's nothing to do with toughness. It's nothing to do with anything like that. It's an illness. It doesn't mean you're not the bravest person in the world who wouldn't defend your family, your kids to death. (laughs) So it's nothing to do with our masculinity. It's simply an illness. So when I did get diagnosed, I started talking to men. I volunteered for the black dog, probably started 14, 15 years ago. I was going into mines, construction sites. As men, once someone starts, um, we will open up and that is a beautiful thing to do because the biggest thing we can do to support ourselves is to talk amongst our friends and each other to share experiences on what to do to deal with this and that's the smart play.
0: And with the awareness and understanding that you have about your depression, how do you care for your mental health now?
2: The thing that gets me through every day and I use it five times a day, the old serendipity saying, give me the wisdom to know what I can't change and the strength to change what I can. So a lot of what you're going through is just not your doing. You can't change those things. So don't stress and ruminate on the things that you cannot change. Just ruminate and action the things you can. A lot of the big problems is as people that we... We'll torture ourselves for our mistakes, but we never pat ourselves on the back enough for the good things we do and the talent we have. There was a time I couldn't even look at my old footy videos because there I put them on, I'd think, you're big head, you can't feel good about yourself. Well, that's not true. Please allow yourself time to love yourself and see the good things in you.
0: Definitely some good recommendations there. What other words of encouragement do you have for those that might be experiencing mental ill health, Wayne? How can they speak up or perhaps look to take that first step?
2: I think it's really important to understand that most of your friends are going to be struggling too. So it's wonderful for men and women to be able to get together and talk about it. But just by talking about it, you can find things that have worked for others. But the main thing to do is... If you believe you are struggling and you make that wonderful step today to seek help, you make a long appointment with your GP. You bleed your heart. It is so important to tell them everything because then they can make the right diagnosis and make sure that they can guide you to the best help. Most GPs in Australia now have had extra training through the Black Dog Institute. Because mental health is such a big problem, GPs have educated themselves and are quite good at this now i know a lot of country people have said to me over the years because it's a very private thing to some people that they think that if they go to the gp or the services in their town other people might find out about it if that's where you feel go and make an appointment in a town 100 k's away whatever block you have that's stopping you seek help and i respect that I know it's a deeply personal thing to some. I've just talked to John Harper before I did this who is from Mate Helping Mate, a farmer who struggled with depression and we had a good chat and I just learned something myself. He told me, because a lot of men and women, we need logic to understand. The first step is to acknowledge there's a problem as you would with anything else on your farm or in your life, to identify what the problem is, the options to seek help, actually action it. The hardest thing is to make the first step and seek help. It's the hardest thing for us all. So to action it, and once we action it, to review if it's working and then we go back to one.
0: And what other pathways for help or online resources are available for those living in regional and rural areas?
2: In your local town, you will have real remote health, Mission Australia, who are absolutely wonderful. Like, as a city boy going out to the country, the support that I see those workers give are amazing. There's flourish. If you look in your local white pages, you will find that there are a lot of agencies in your town. Headspace is a great one if you're worried about your young because they specialise 15 to 25. There is a self-assessment test for depression on the black dog website is clinically proven if you get on there and do that test and it comes back that you may be struggling it's a wonderful thing a wonderful tool you just seek help straight away guide people to it who are even if you mention that to everyone even if they shake their head and don't look at you they might sneakily go home and do it and then they might take that first step it's a wonderful tool because we can self-assess and there's something up there for anxiety too. But the other thing the Black Dog can do for you, if you find it hard to get in to see a counsellor psychologist, we do do telehealth. You can get a referral to the Black Dog. We are getting more and more people doing that, and you can get help maybe a little bit quicker than you can normally. And although Zoom meetings may not be as good for some as face-to-face, those people at the Black Dog, they're up to date with the latest research. What they'll tell you is the right...
0: And you just mentioned sharing the online assessment tool off the Black Dog Institute website with other people. Let's just expand on this idea of reaching out to friends and family who you think might be experiencing mental ill health. It's not always a comfortable or easy thing to do. What are some recommendations you have on having this conversation?
2: First thing to understand is... You cannot make a mistake in the way you approach someone. Your style, yourself, your relationship with that person is all you need. So you just do in your own way. I have been educated a little bit about depression and anxiety and I have noticed that a lot of the stuff I've heard, I'm a bit worried about you because you do seem to be down. You seem not to be functioning. You seem not to be coming to a lot of things. So you just bring up something like that. You cannot make it worse because it might just make them realise that they do need to look. So don't be scared. You can't push anyone into, you know, suicide if that's what you're worried about. You can't push them into a deeper depression. You cannot make a mistake. Your friendship, your communication style, the way you are normally with them is quite simply the way to approach it.
0: Wayne, thank you very much for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you for having me and best of wishes to you all.
0: That was the Black Dog Institute's Wayne Wiggum, and before him was Rand New South Wales grower and GRDC Northern panel member Roy Hamilton. If you or anyone you know needs help, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. More information and resources on this topic can be found in the description box of this podcast. I'm Hilary Sims and you've been listening to a GRDC podcast.